everyone, welcome back. And if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. You're listening to the High Performance Human Podcast, and I'm your host, Simon Ward. Before we get into today's show, I'd like to talk about what it means to be a high performance human. It has nothing to do with how fast you swim, bike, or run, but it's got everything to do with your sleep, nutrition, physical activity, personal relationships, work habits, and so much more. And if these are areas you'd like to improve on, we would love to help you. I currently have availability to take on a couple of clients, and my wife, Beth, who is a certified life coach, also has some availability. So, depending on what you're looking to focus on, we've got you covered. And you can find contact details in the show notes. Now for today's show. The Ironman World Championships have been held in Kona, Hawaii since 1978. COVID forced to change the location to St. George in Utah in 2021. And then in 2022, World Triathlon Corporation experimented with having two races on different days. And for whatever reason, more changes happened in 2023. So this year, we had the men's race in Nice in September. And then on the normal second Saturday in October, we had the female-only race in Kona. Our favourite journalist from triathlon, Tim Hemming, was lucky enough to go to both events and he joins me today to discuss his thoughts on the concept of splitting not just race days but also venues, the atmosphere in both locations leading up to and on race day, the overall quality of racing not just for the pro athletes but age groupers as well and this is especially topical given some of the negative publicity that WTC were receiving before the Kona event. Finally we chat about whether this format really has got enough support and momentum to continue after the next scheduled swap over in 2024. So let's crack on and hear from Tim. Hey, it's nice to have you back on the show, Mr. Tim Hemming. Hi, Simon. Nice to be back. Yeah, you've been jetting around the world recently, haven't you? All in the name of work, of course. Yeah, it's a hard life. It's a hard life. Although um, sometimes, as we were discussing, yeah, getting getting poorly on the way back from Hawaii, it can be a little bit more taxing. But um I guess one of the joys of triathlon is it takes you to some exotic locations. Yeah, and don't we all love that? Especially if you can put it on expenses, right? I mean, you just got to prove to people that you're not actually on holiday by writing something when you come back, I suppose. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> all right, well, let's let's put you to work today. So um, this year was the first year that um, World Triathlon Corporation, Ironman as we know them, decided to split the venues for the male and female races um of course last year they had split days for them racing this year they decided to split venues um maybe that was forced upon them but that's another topic um so we had the uh female only athlete um race in uh september i think and that was in nice in southern france and then on the second saturday in october as it always is we had the male only race taking place in Hawaii Kona so um you were lucky enough to go to both so I, I wanted to pick your brains and, and get your thoughts on how it all worked out and uh, what you thought of the the separate categories so let's start off yeah. with Nice well we should start off with Nice the, the the thing I should say about Nice is that um 
unlike your info there, intro there where you really only had one thing to get right, which was to say that the men raced in Nice and the women raced in Kona, you said it, you said it the other way around. Shall we start the podcast again? <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's leave that in. I quite liked it. I quite enjoyed it, actually. Um, but I, I, you know, I could see it was an honest mistake. If you, if you didn't. But, you just sat there poker-faced and let me walk into it as well, didn't you? Well, but it is it does that it even in and of itself raises an interesting question let's say for somebody who's coming new into triathlon um who might be a high level single sport athlete and then all of a sudden they do their first ironman and they're up in their age group or they get a you know there's a slot appeared that they could get to the world championship yeah well uh, understanding and from broader media as well understanding when these world championships are actually happening and who's taking part and mm. what why are the men's and women's at different places at different times that's quite a muddled picture from an outside perspective mm. when iron man's kind of whole raison d'etre is to try and recruit more athletes into the sport as well so maybe that is a it's, it's a small point but it's probably still something worth worth acknowledging um, mm. as they try and get more people onto their race courses and to these world championships which as you rightly said were, were spread a month apart you did get that bit right well and of course i'm not a single sport athlete and neither am i coming from a novice perspective so i should have really known better but anyway uh, if i put that in the show notes it'll make people uh, chuckle a little bit so tim you went to the men's world championship race in september in nice so uh, not a new venue for hosting um triathlons or Ironman are indeed big races because before I mean, it wasn't before Ironman started in Hawaii, but um, for a long time, the biggest race in Europe was the Nice um, triathlon every year, which I was uh, sort of brought up on watching Mark Allen and um, I can't think of the uh, Yves Cordier battling it out there on the Promenade des Anglais. And of course, then, then they've been doing Ironman France there. So they've got, a, they've got a good history at putting on those sporting events, haven't they? Yeah, certainly there. There's, you know, I think Mark Allen won that race 10 times, didn't he? That's incredible, isn't he it? He did, win, yeah. Go, go yeah. back and win something 10, 10 years. Phenomenal. Uh, that was, I think, part of the reason that they ended up going to the south of France. Um, and the Côte d'Azur was because it tried and tested and they knew that triathlon had a history there because they also, Ironman also knew that this was such a big risk, the step that they were taking to split split the men's and the women's race and and take the race away from really take it away from the big island. I know it was taken away from North America from the first time. Obviously they had it in, in St. George, but at that point it was, that was more of a COVID play than anything else. So this was a big jump. So Nice is a venue, which is set up to embrace triathlon, has a history of triathlon, understands triathlon, the French are very, very good at triathlon as that race actually proved again um made made really made really good good sense and i think we saw that in the way that the event played out mm. so your impressions have you been to nice before to watch triathlon no that was the first time i'd been there yes yeah, so i i hadn't been for the uh for either ironman france which takes place earlier in the summer and, and i hadn't been um in 2019 either when the Ironman 70.3 World Championship 
took place mm-hmm. took place there. Um, trying to can't think where I was at that occasion, but yeah, I wasn't in Nice. I might actually have been out in the Middle East somewhere, to be honest. Okay, so what what were your first impressions of the city? Of of like, did you, did you get a sense when you got there that everybody knew that the triathlon was coming to town? I wouldn't say that everybody knew that the triathlon was coming to town, but I would say that everybody there was more than receptive to the triathlon coming to town, if that makes sense. So nobody was getting enraged because there was people on time trial bikes. Nobody was like particularly giving odd looks as these like quirky people in spandex waltz down the promenade des Anglais. It was, it was used to it. And and so in that respect, I think triathlon was very, very welcome. The Rugby World Cup was also, they were building up for that, which I think should be acknowledged. The opening match of that, which was um, the Kiwis versus France, fantastic match, which, which France, the home side won, that was on the potentially the night before. It was played up in Paris, but it was or just outside of Paris. But that was the night before the Ironman, Men's Ironman World Championships took place. And then there were matches being played in Nice that were going to come in in the weeks to follow um, the Ironman Worlds. So the Ironman Worlds Expo, was on one side of one of the squares and then the fan zone for the rugby was on the other <laughs> side and they were setting that up. You see, the, both of, the, the two were kind of going together and obviously the rugby was going to be much bigger thing for us from a spectator's perspective, of course. But it, it just showed you an example of where the city was set up to embrace both events and was capable of doing it, which in a way that Kona simply wouldn't have been imagined mm-hmm. trying to take a, an international rugby match of that caliber and to, you know, and it'd be played on the big Island. It wouldn't have happened. So in terms of Nice, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great place. It's a really fun place to go. The, the airport sort of at one end of the bay, you can come in on the tram. There's lots of accommodation. Um, Combination, no problem to book at, at many different price points, you know, and the world is expensive now. So I'm not going to say that anywhere is, is super cheap, but you could find deals. And then in terms of restaurants, it's almost wall to wall restaurants in Nice. So the foods can be really good. I think what what I didn't do and what I would have loved to do would to be have a little bit of local knowledge to be able to go off the beaten track, find an old rundown bar somewhere where some guy was, you know, serving us sardines or the mulfries or whatever it was and 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 actually feel like you weren't quite being hoodwinked as a tourist so mm-hmm. you have that a little bit of that feeling but look that's you know you'll get that anywhere so in terms of how it was set up to the brace event yeah it was a big big thumbs up and a good choice from iron man in terms of taking this step i do uh firstly talking about the infrastructure and ability to host big events you know you and i were I think you were in Kona last year, weren't you? Yes. So, I mean, they, they, they held the two events, but they held them on separate days last year. And so, and they had more people for various reasons. And it just felt like the town was at bursting point, you know, accommodation was super expensive for a number of reasons. There were no higher cars, you know, people were having to stay away out of town. Um, so that, that's one thing, but, but also I feel like Iron Man's original sort of, um, modus operandi when they when they first started expanding around the world was was to find small towns where the Ironman was a big deal and sometimes when they go to the big cities I think that's sometimes lost a little bit but there are certain cities that seem to have that within their blood don't they so Nice would be one you know um, 
I think Frankfurt's another one where you can go and, uh, you know, everybody knows about the Ironman. Whereas I, I went to Zurich once to do Ironman Switzerland and in the taxi from the airport to the um, to the hotel, we were talking about the taxi driver and the Ironman at the weekend and he was just shaking his head. He didn't know anything about it. And so it was a sort of like a lost thing there. So um, it's a, it's a diff- difficult balancing act to find somewhere that has the infrastructure, but also will be sort of um, engaged in the race. Yeah, that's the one thing. If you were going to pull out the biggest uh, contrast between Nice and, and Kona, it, it is it is just that. It's, you know, Ironman dominates the big island or Kona when it arrives and Ironman just fits in and is facilitated by by Nice when it, when it goes there. And I think if you ask most people on that score, you would say that that Kona experience, therefore, is the better one than the Nice experience. It's not the Nice one is, is a terrible experience, but the Kona one is a better one. It's similarly, the, perhaps the other good example you draw is somewhere like Roth, which is a, a small town in Germany. Yeah. It just fully embraces the triathlon challenge Roth when that arrives each summer. And you, 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 you know, you hear people coming back that raving about the atmosphere, about that event and the fans that, triathletes and fans are drawn to it so mm-hmm. i think that's the best way for it to work but obviously um you know you just you have to kind of play the hand you dealt sometimes as well so for the athletes um getting around going out on the bikes you're in the city there you're right down by the sea so it's not easy to find somewhere quiet to ride um did you hear anybody saying that that was an issue no not in nice i didn't um i think there was as soon as you see as you have the the so like i mentioned earlier you have the airport at one end of the bay and then you have this, this huge great big bay with the promenade zonglais that runs all all along it but then simply if you turn your back to the sea you're looking up into the maritime alps so instantly there are you know roads that you can go up and take and and, and you know i didn't do it. i wasn't there on my bike and i've ne- and i haven't ridden so i can't speak of that experience but i didn't hear anybody complaining that the that the riding was terrible um i also think you know the riding in that area is potentially very good because you only have to cycle a wee bit and then you're up into the hills okay. and there's, there's some coals and, and things that you 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 can find and when you sort of talking to some of the professional athletes and particularly the ones that did well there like Sam Laidlow and Rudy von Berg uh, Clement Mignon athletes that were very familiar with the area or even live in the area you know those have been the, their their training um kind of bedrocks of their training you know for as they were being brought up and then people basing themselves there weeks in advance of this race if if riding was poor people wouldn't be doing that someone like Leon Chevalier would go come there in weeks in advance to learn the course and and train on it so yeah in that sense I think the thumbs up and I didn't hear of I didn't hear of, of, of particularly any accidents either mm. okay well that's good to hear for those people who might get the option to go next year um what yeah about... just on that sorry yeah. just just yeah so just on yes. that I, I I think if you are talking about the bike course and the option to go next year and it's the women's race next year then it's almost an imperative to to train not necessarily specifically on that course, but certainly to train on the climbs, the descents, to to get the technical skills that you are going to need to be able to cover 112 miles of um, a hillier bike course than you're going to than almost perhaps 
any on the Ironman calendar. There are others that are going to, like Wales, for example, I believe has much more, has more climb, almost significantly more climb, but it's a constant up, down, up, down, up, down. Mm. It's That's very different from where Nice, where you have this one big climb, which is probably the biggest climb in Ironman racing, um, called Electra, and then you have a, a, a fast, quick descent in the second half of the bike, so that, that needs mm. some practicing. People will factor that in. Yeah, I, I always think that the Iron the Ironman France course is almost a course for two bikes, isn't it? You know, because it's quite a long lead into the um, to the climbing, and then there's the climbing bit, and then there's a long bit back into the city where those first and last bits are, are perfect for a time trial bike. But um, you need to have fairly good skills and confidence to be comfortable on a time trial bike in the mountains. Yes. I mean, this was a question we asked before, um, and the general consensus, and I don't profess to be an expert here, but the general consensus was the time trial bike was always the way to go on this. Now, that might have been because it was a it was a bloke's bravado talking. <laughs> um, however, um, you know, I think it was that was that was the general uh, kind of rule of thumb for people. No, I think you're right on balance, but equally, um, an alpine course on a or a course that's more of an alpine for climbing and descending on a twitchier time trial bike uh, back to your point from a minute ago requires a bit more practice um than it does for even for kona where the, there are hills and there's plenty of climbing but it's up and down and most of it's straight you're not going to have to break you're not going to have to set your bike up right for the corners and and judge your speed so okay um what about on the other side then, the organisation and particularly things like the volunteering? Obviously, they've got a bigger pool of people there, um, but also as compared to Kona where when it's Ironman week, most people are engaged in that and a lot of people are putting their hand up because they want to be out there volunteering. What, what was the situation like uh, from that aspect? So I think I'll, I can pull, pull both Kona and Nice for this, if I'm honest. And I think this is around where Ironman gets its branding right and part of its branding is that athlete experience and part of the, and a huge part of that athlete experience is the quality and caliber of the volunteers and both at Nice and both in Hawaii this year it just seems to be absolutely excellent I, I feel when I walk around when I, when I see the people with a smile on their face the way they interact with athletes the experience they give the athletes one of the reasons I think that people who love Ironman racing come back and do Ironman racing. And I, I think in contrast to 2022, which you touched on earlier, where it started to become quite ragged because they we had two days of racing on the Thursday and the Saturday, and it was a lot of call on volunteers' times. And, you know, I heard stories of volunteers going to do a shift and that shift having to be extended by hours mm -hmm. because there wasn't people to replace them. Or, for example, the aid stations on the course got more and more spread out because they didn't have them. They didn't have the manpower to to have an, as many aid stations as they perhaps would in 2022. All of those problems with having one race in a while, one race in these were solved this year. So it was just a really high level slick organization that Ironman do better than better is perhaps a bit unfair but certainly is they're, they're the probably the leading brand in the sport for that mm. okay um so aside from the racing anything else we we should touch on that you were impressed with or not so impressed with in these no I think yeah just in terms of 
Yeah, other than I mean, if you want to talk about the race itself, we we mm. we can do we can do that certainly for Nice um, from Good. what I can remember of it. But I'd love to. Well, the first thing uh, I'd like to touch on is that you and I used to have a catch up before the Ironman World Championships to talk about your top ten predictions. So, um, given that the race was taking part in a different part of the world this year. Um, I wondered if you'd, we didn't talk about it in advance. So I wondered if you'd actually gone through that little paper exercise just for a bit of fun and um, how accurate you were. Because you're usually pretty good. I'll give you that. Yeah, you're usually to, pretty good and usually better than me. Yeah, making uh, predictions tends to be a bit more of a mugs game these days since t- 2019. I think that's because of how illness can affect athletes build up. And we never really, we really know that. But that seems to be another layer that gets brought on top. So, it's difficult. I, I didn't actually make a top 10 predictions for the men's race in, in, in Nice, although I did have some some thoughts about it. Um, my thoughts generally were around that the athletes that knew the course were going to do quite well. So those are the French um, athletes or the French-linked athletes, the likes of Rudy von Berg, who ended up coming fourth. Um, uh, Clément Mignon, who, who was didn't have the best finish in the end but but you know had a, a strong impact on the race leon chevalier who had a, a very good race i think was fifth um and i expected magnus ditlev to be up there as well just because of the caliber of athlete that that magnus ditlev is and he eventually came third i didn't have sam Laidlow for the win and i think not to detract from him as a the standard of his you know ability because we obviously that was laid bare for all to see but just because it when you're looking at athletes, you're sort of looking to reasons to rule people out. And because of his because of his season, which had been very very hit and miss, and he'd also had COVID uh, re- fairly recently before the race, um, which was the PTO race in Singapore. Um, I felt that perhaps he wouldn't perform as well as he did, and I also thought that Jan Fredino would be a factor. But um, as we know, he's you know, he's struggled after PTO Milwaukee race to with his form and, and fitness to get himself in that shape one time. And and I suppose with the benefit of hindsight, you know, Fredino for as great an athlete as he is, it was never been that was not a course that ever played to his strengths. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, obviously he he, he bowed that bowed out with with great respect and a and a lap on a lap of honor at the end. Um but yeah, in terms of my my predictions themselves, I think they were. Um, <laughs> I didn't make any, but had I made them, they'd have been pretty wide of the mark. <laughs> and and reflecting on the race now, um, any any thoughts having digested all that sort of information you collected and what you saw? Do you think we've uh, seen? Do you think we've seen a changing of the guard, or is that just a change that's reflective of the different um, type of racing we we saw? I think we've seen a changing of the guard in the last since props we've come back from the pandemic you, you know we, if the norwegian if well perhaps not gustav eden because he's not had a great year but if christian blumerfeld had been there he would have been a factor in that race as well but we've seen the likes of sam Laidlow, who came second in kona last year um, and younger athletes if i'm honest moving up to long distance earlier in their year ditlev another example who are dominating who are the the leading protagonists now in the sport and 
when they start on the race, when they go to the start line, they are definitely the favourites to win these races, where I think if you rolled it back not so long, maybe even to 2019, you would definitely be looking at Jan Fredino. And if Alistair Brownlee, you know, was injury-free, you would say that he would be right up there as one of the favourites. You know, if Alistair Brownlee can get himself into shape for Kona next year, he will be an outsider at best because we've got... Um, such strength coming through with younger athletes who have also, it's not just that we've seen change of faces, but in terms of the times that we're seeing now, we've had a step change in that. We we had it last year in Hawaii where I think the top 10 men went under eight hours. My figures might be slightly out, but it was faster than we've ever, ever seen. And when you start to break down and analyze the performance that we saw in Nice and what Sam Laidlow actually did and some of the numbers that he put out on the bike, before running you know Patrick Lang ran what a low 230s marathon and and never looked like um never looked never looked like catching him I've got a, I've got a thing to say about Patrick Lang I know when he was in Kona there were always lots of people who expressed doubts about his tactics about the fact that he wasn't a triathlete you know that he'd some people say he cheated because he had paces there and he saved himself for the run but I would I think Nice is a fairer racing course. That would have he he wasn't obviously able to race in the same way as he could at Kona, and yet he still ran that fast time there. And that's an honest course, isn't it? It's flat and it's open. It's exposed to the sun all the time, um, and yet he still ran a two thirty two. So I think that that to me that should put to bed any doubts about his athleticism and and credibility in winning those previous Ironman races. Yeah, I think he should always have credibility for being a two-time world champion and a, like a phenomenal Ironman triathlete and really a specialist as well at the distance. And those two race courses in Kona, it suits him, I think, because of the way that he can handle the heat as a smaller athlete. And we, we, we've not seen anyone consistently run the marathons that Patrick Lang has run in Kona year on year on year. Mm. So that's his big advantage there. And then in Nice, the course suited him as a lighter athlete in terms of in terms mm. of his ability to climb. And then it was also hot as well in Nice. It didn't have the humidity of the Big Island, but it was definitely mm. hot there. So I think, again, his ability to run well in the heat played into his hands so if it was a more of a temperate race in somewhere like a frankfurt or for example it might be much more of a challenge for him um but i think nice and kona as two venues suit him pretty well and yeah he he, he definitely proved that um he's that his, his world championship wins were no flukes okay so were there any surprises for who ended up in the top 10 and were there any surprises for who didn't end up in the top 10 Oh gosh, um, probably is my answer. <laughs> to be continued. Um, I think, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have the top tens in front of me right now. Um, I should have done that, but um, I think um, Arthur Horso, um, Sam Laidlow's training partner, I think he ran himself up to around seventh potentially. You you would have to say that was a surprise because he hadn't shown hadn't shown that previously, um, and then yeah, you you you're always going to have always going to have blow-ups in races as well um but other than Fredino um and actually I suppose Joe Skipper was hotly tipped before the race and he he had by all accounts to be honest he had a terrible day and I'm not sure he quite has the answers for Mm. for why he did put a post-race video on it so people can go and look to that but I don't think there he really knew why it went quite as badly as it did so I guess he would be one 
um, that didn't have the day that he dreamed of. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's talk about Kona then. So females only in Kona. There was a lot of chatter beforehand about, certainly for the age group athletes, that Ironman were digging deep to have people on the start line. Um, and we can talk about what the results say about that selection process later, because I think the two don't quite match up. Um, but you got off the plane. You've obviously been to Kona before. So uh, any immediate thoughts getting off the plane about the atmosphere, um, what you were seeing? Yeah, I suppose Kona, hopefully Kona is a bit of an easier one for me to talk to, be, talk about because it's more recent than these. Um, it, I think Kona was, my impressions was that it was, that it was Kona, right? It's, all of those things, if no, if people haven't been before, all of those things that they see on the feed, you know, the ocean swim, the coffee boat out there, the pier, the banyan tree, the lava java, all of those, and you know, the Queen K, Ali Drive, all of those things, like they're still there and they're not going anywhere. And you get back and you and you get to experience that. Um, and that's great. Like that's that's what makes it. That's part of what makes the history of of that event. Um, and I don't think that changed, and, and certainly didn't change this year. If we're asking, it was the vibe any different because it was women only? Then uh, possibly a little bit. I mean, the vibe was good. It was certainly quieter than twenty twenty two. But then there wasn't two races happening. So that was great. There was like zero aggression out there at all, um, which was which was great. Um, I don't want to make this this could this could very easily sound patronising, which is not meant to at all. Um, but it was, you know, whether that was because it was a women only race, so you had predominantly women out on the bikes, and there was just more cohesion in terms of how the traffic flow went because of that. I I don't know, but. Um, it was certainly a good vibe, and we have had some really terrific feedback from terms of mm. the women that were there, which I'm sure you've seen as well. Who had a, just had an epic experience, which was, which was, which was great to see. There was the odd guy running up and down the road in a tri suit, which was a bit strange. But um, sure, if you know if they want to do that, that's I guess that's up to them. Or, or piling into the um, Hoala swim as well, which I kind of feel <laughs> like. Maybe you should just uh, leave that to the women, yeah, so my somebody, friends. But, so, somebody, okay. put, somebody put a post on one of the Facebook pages saying, look, men, if you're out there, remember, and you're out there for the Ironman, you're probably supporting your partner or your wife or your sister. So put your stopwatch away, take your chest strap off, put some clothes on, and go out there and be a good supporter. You know, it's about them, not you. And then somebody else said, yeah, but there's no reason why they can't go and ride the bike. You know, if it was a men-only race, you'd still see females out there swimming and running and riding a bike, wouldn't you? So, um, but I did. I agree. I agree. agree. Yeah. I just, you know, I just, like for me personally, I just drew the line when it came to taking part in the underpants run, for example. So, (laughs) But it was still on though, wasn't it? Yes, it was actually. So if you, I don't. I mean, I don't know how I feel about the underpants run. Fine, if people, if it raises some money for charity, that's that's a good thing. But um, for me, it feels like okay, it's a little strange, whatever. But um, a little bit of a funny story for you. I went up to have a, a swim to the coffee boat, um, and where our condo was was perhaps like a twenty-minute jog f- for me. And then there's, as you know, there is a, a really 
nice backdrop where and because i was jogging up on my own i could just leave my you know phone and things pop it in the backdrop and then mm. jump in for the swim it's you swim about 400 meters to the coffee boat have a have a quick shot of coffee really nice swim back um and then i was going to run back so the whole thing was only supposed to take me 40 minutes mm-hmm. but um stupidly rookie error from me when i dropped my bag it was fine there was nobody about by the time i went to pick my bag up having swum the underpants runner just finished there was now a queue around the block for people who had on the underpants run who'd also dropped their bags (laughs) so i was then stuck behind about the best part of about a thousand people (laughs) to try to pick up uh to try and pick up my my swim my swim uh kit or my my you know my dry clothes bag um and, you know, I'd only been for a swim for like 10 minutes. So I was like, yeah, I spent more time queuing than I actually did exercising that morning. And so, and all those people who'd been for the underpants run, mostly women, and you were the one guy still stood in his speedos right in that queue. <laughs> that, if you want to draw that picture, you can, yes. <laughs> the thing is, I can remember going to Kona when, when they first started the underpants run, maybe not the very first time, but I remember oh, back in 1999 going to, going to Lake Placid and seeing rock and rock huddle uh, rock fray and paul huddle doing this little video about do's and don'ts when you go to iron man you know it was all about don't go into the store wearing your speedos and a, and a, and a chest monitor don't go and ride your bike on the course on the final day and this this whole thing was um the whole underpants run was just a bit of a piss take about people that walk around town during iron man week you know in their underpants and in the speedos um and then i think it's just it even if you ask them and as enthusiastic as they are, it probably grew way bigger than they ever thought it would. I, I remember once when they, they they had the start at the old airport and they were trying to get the most people running in their underpants, you know, and they'd got the Guinness Book of Records there and everything. And it, there was a huge crowd. Um, and now it's become this thing that if you go into Conan, you know, it's almost as popular to do the underpants run as it is to do the race. Um, it's sort of a, a beast that's got out of their control somewhat. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay, so uh, um, so less aggression. You're right. I did read that on a lot of Facebook pages and athletes that I've talked to that were got the opportunity to go and saying that um, you know, they just found it just less testosterone fueled and just easier on the bike because the races weren't getting disrupted by male athletes that were having their own race, but then you know, just forcing their way through and causing packs. So um, interesting feedback from that perspective um anything else that you noticed in, in comparison what what did it feel like to have a female only race you know what were your thoughts about that well i think you just touched on that the the main point there and to me the biggest like the biggest boon for having a, a having split races other than it making it slightly easier for the media which is nice is that yeah, the women's race doesn't get wrecked by having um men in it which um, there isn't doesn't seem to be a solution where you can have the men and the women racing on the same day without ruining the rim, women's race mm. one way or another, and so that's a very compelling reason to have individual days for racings, uh, if not individual um, locations. So that's yeah, that's a big thumbs up. And as we saw in the women's race on the spot on the spotlight on the women's race, that was a good thing. What about the crowds on race day? I mean, you and I were both there last year for the male and female only races on different days. Um, last year, the female race was on a Thursday, which is still a work day in Kona. Um, the men's race was on the Saturday, and of course, it, it seemed to have a lot more people watching. Um, 
what did you feel about the crowds that came out last year? Is that what you'd expect to see for a Saturday race? Yeah, yeah, I think there was the there were enough people there watching, and that was fine. So, you know, it's not as if you're going to get as you well know, um, and but may listeners may not. The course in Kona is actually quite a, a lonely course. Mm-hmm. The bike ride, most of it takes place on the, the Queen uh, Queen K Highway, and that's an out and back, and you're just surrounded by the, the lava fields and the, and the coast on one side. And then on the run, the run takes you up. Um, there's a hill called Polani. Once you that takes you up out of Kona, and then you're back on the highway again. So for most of the marathon, you're actually running on your own as well. And there aren't crowds there. So where there are crowds is around the finish, a little bit on Ali Drive with the Mm -hmm. first part of the marathon. And then they have a couple of what they call hot corners, which is where the bike might go past a few times or the run might go past a couple of times. So in terms of the numbers on those places, it was more than adequate to give a good good atmosphere. But it's never going to be a race where you're going to get, like the London 2012 Olympics, 250,000 people. There's certainly you know it, it's the crowds are deep as people are coming like when lucy charles barkley is running down the down the finish shoot there's, there's the, the numbers are up there but it's just, it's just you know it's a it's a small footprint right so um yeah i think i think what i'm really trying to get at is was it noticeably different because it was just a female race this year no men and um you know people thought well it's not going to be quite the same athletic spectacle hopefully it wasn't but no, I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone thought that. I've not right. spoke to anyone who. And I think perhaps if you, in terms of the like the argument as to why that was, we'll just have to look at the women's pro race and look at the field, um, the best field that's ever been assembled. I would suggest mm-hmm. there wasn't um, a, a female long course triathlete in the world uh, who was absent from that race. And as we saw with the course record time set by Lucy Charles Barkley, and then also the first 16 women raced, finished under nine hours. Mm. You know, that finished, so Laura Siddle finished 16th, under nine hours, didn't get in the prize money. Up until 2017, every year that would have got you on the podium in top three. Yeah. So that just shows this, the the quality, the caliber of the racing. Mm. So yeah, I don't think anyone was going away from that, going, "Oh, actually, it's the below par, you know, performance that or that I'm watching." I think mm. people were just blown away by the quality on show. Great, and I mean, talking of those performances, you know, Lucy Charles Barkley, first first athlete in um, in an Ironman World Championships to lead from start to finish. Um, I would say, yeah, I think we need to just qualify it to say, I would, what I've been saying on this first athlete in the competitive era, because if you go back to Ironman racing there, there were times when I think Lynn Lemaire was the only woman in the race, for oh, example. Okay, well, yeah. So, you, you, you know, if you, to be, don't want to be too pedant picky on it, but if we are talking cannon to tape, as they say, I think in the competitive era, then what Lucy did mm. um yeah, that is that, that that's true, and and of course you need a, you, you need a, a swimmer of the caliber of Lucy to to be able to do that first and guarantee that she's first out of the water, and then mm. and then it all it all goes from there. Yeah, but we've had good swimmers before, but they haven't managed to they haven't managed to stay ahead for the whole race, have they? So, uh, um, or oh, we've had runners that have pulled the way back. You know, that was always Chrissy's thing; she was never first out of the water. Um, so. Anyway, oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. But all, all I'm saying is, if you are going to go gun to tape, 
you you have to be a gun swimmer. That's the yeah, 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 thing. yeah, yeah. I hope you're enjoying the show so far and learning a lot. If you aren't already a regular listener, I hope you feel you might come back. Please make sure to hit the subscribe button so you know whenever a new episode arrives. I publish these twice a week, ad-free, and with the mission of improving the health and performance of endurance athletes around the world. And to help me, I'd love it if you could share the episode with one person you think could benefit. If you have a couple more minutes, perhaps you could leave me a review on your chosen platform once you've finished listening to this episode. Okay, let's get back to the show. And what about the age group racing then? I mean, we talked, we touched on that um, this sentiment that Ironman were, I saw some people saying they were scraping the barrel, you know, they were going down the rankings, ringing and writing people who'd finished Ironman races last year and asking them if there was a slot um, just to get the numbers up. I think... I saw 2,000, just over 2,000 were on the start line, uh, I think. Is that right? Yeah, um, that's correct. Which is which is a pretty good number, uh, and certainly more females than you would normally have. So that's an excellent uh, an excellent result in that um, thing. But what startled me more, um, and which is really, really nice to hear, is that there were no... There were no athletes that didn't make the cutoff on the swim. I don't think I've ever seen that, where, where everybody's got through the swim before the cutoff. And the dropout rate or the completion rate, whichever one you want to call, was way higher than you'd normally get as well. Yeah, the completion rate was, according to the figures, was 97%. Yeah, and that I think I don't think Kona's normally that high, is it? I think it's normally 92 93% across the whole field. Yeah, that's yeah. It's that's really it's a really good it's a really good stat. Um, I suppose it can be interpreted a, a, a couple of ways um, because just a high dropout rate doesn't necessarily mean people aren't prepared. It might be that they're mm. desperately competitive and trying to really push the envelope to win their category and just blow up completely. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult sometimes to read too much into that. Mm. But I think, you know, from an Ironman perspective, that's certainly something they'll make a play on in terms of the caliber of the women that they could all make the swim cut off and the fact that they could all finish the they could all finish the race. So, yeah, you know, it's a reaction to some of the criticism that they said that they were letting in low caliber, low caliber athletes. Well, you know, from being in the in the uh, journalism world, Tim, that you can make stats appear to say anything, can't you, if you really want to? <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, overall, then um, ha- having separate races, do you feel like it on on balance it was a success? Uh, so I think these were two great events and two two great races. Um, I would say whether this is something that Ironman will move forward with is up in the air so firstly in terms of this let's call it an experiment we're only halfway through Mm -hmm. the cycle of what it could look like so next year we've got the women racing in nice and the men racing in hawaii so until that those two events have taken place you you won't will be in a better position to to judge i think there is a problem around separating the genders in location wise um and i think i my tunes changed slightly on that because what i did come to realize was quite how how small at times the sport is as a whole and how much club mates or family members actually want to go with their partners um or teammates and compete at the same venue and be able to do that 
and I think some of them feel quite disaffected because mm-hmm. of the decision by Ironman to, to, to split the venues. And so that is something I think that they perhaps need to look at. But also I think Ironman are looking at everything right now. So I did have a sit down with Andrew Messick and interviewed him for quite a long time. And I don't think anything is set. Now, obviously, Messick is um, officially supposed to be leaving as soon as they get a new chief executive. But um, I don't think anything is, uh, I think everything is up for discussion right now. Mm. And I do think they're worried about how the, particularly the women's race will play out in Nice next year. Mm. And And they are committed in theory for another two years. But I asked whether that contract could be ripped up, and I I got the sense that it that it that it could be. Messick's actual words to me were, "If we did do that, we could probably do it, but I don't think we'd be doing Ironman France anytime soon again." And Ironman France is obviously the race, or what that would mean for Ironman France could be, you know, could be curtains based essentially because they'd be pulling the rug from underneath. Um, as a mm. venue for the for the next two years however it's very much a watch this space i think as to what happens next what's also interesting to me is that the, the number of ironman races available certainly i've, I've seen in the uk and uh, maybe in europe is, is is diminishing um which might be a reflection of just the the, the global interest or so certainly reflecting the uk current interest in triathlon where we're seeing less people entering and triathlon struggling to fill up as they used to do um, so Ironman have got less races, so I'm wondering how that's going to play out in terms – are they offering slots further down? Um, I, I saw that they released so, the uh, so the uh, qualification criteria for for um, the, the women's race in Nice next year, which seems to have sort of um, expanded a little bit on previous years. Yeah, I think this is, a, this is a fair talking point. So next year we've got a real contrast in – the men racing in Hawaii, where we've still got quite a few spots that have, there's, put it this way, it's going to be, it's very, very difficult to qualify for Hawaii next year if you're a man. And part of the reason for that is because of the number of spots, the deferrals, mm-hmm. people who had won a spot, you know, earlier, because um, it's all a legacy from the pandemic, really, didn't want to race in Nice and had mm-hmm. the option to defer because when they initially got their spot, they thought they'd be able to go to Hawaii. So a lot of the spots, have already gone for Hawaii next year. There aren't that many up for grabs. That is in stark contrast to the women's race in Nice, where they haven't been able, they haven't been filling the spots since the um, since the qualification period opened. Not to the point where they were rolling down in age groups, but they were completely rolling off. So that there was people at, at about half of the Ironmans where. The, the slots weren't going at all. Nobody wanted to take them. Wow. That was an embarrassment for Ironman. And Ironman have now, as a result, changed their qualification process for the women for Nice for 2024. Uh, we could say that, you know, given what happened this year for, for Kona in terms of how some of the spots were distributed, it's more of a formalizing of the process that they'd already started to tinker with, if you like, for Hawaii. However, I spoke to Mess. I got wind this might be happening. I spoke to Messick in Hawaii about this, and uh, could have could have honestly broken that story a few weeks ago. But decided with a you know speaking to editors and things that we would sit and wait for the actual announcement for this. And so that this happened this week. And so effectively, you can't just qualify. There are more options than qualifying from 
for Nice and just an Ironman. You can do it through 70.3 races or top 10 in age group from the race that's just happened in Kona. They'll get invitations. The All World Athletes, which is the loyalty program, those people will get invitations. There's perhaps more legacy slots will be invitations. So they will try and fill the the, the Nice slots. Um, the reason why it's not going, why Nice isn't filling up is because, I mean, it's a few, but people still want to race in Kona. Mm-hmm. There's there's actually not that many U.S. Ironman races, and U.S. women typically race more Ironman than European women in terms of the male female percentages. So you, so we were, we're, we're a European based race where women's partition, participation rates are lower. So that's another that's another challenge. You've also got the price point on this, which I think is fourteen hundred wow. U.S. dollars which is not uh, insubstantial. And also you have to compare it with the fact that you can pretty much race on exactly the same course just a couple of months earlier in Ironman France. Okay, it's not the bells and whistles of a world championship, but then you could argue if Ironman is struggling to fill the spots anyway, then it almost slightly becomes another race. The other thing that we have to look at from perhaps – a reason, but also for a more positive um, point of view, is that we're coming. This is creating opportunities for more women. Uh, in historically, the maximum number of women that ever raced in Hawaii for the Ironman World Championships was eight hundred. So they've gone from eight hundred, and now they're trying to get something like two and a half to three thousand mm. at the Ironman distance, which is a huge jump up. Now they've obviously managed to get two thousand in Kona for this year, but we will have to see whether. Um, those women want to come back in two years' time for Kona or whether Kona in two years might struggle. It, the question becomes, is there an, at the moment, the question is, is there enough women who want to be racing Ironman races, you know, at that time of year, at that world championship? One thing that is probably quite smart from Ironman's perspective is to take the, take the condition that you have to race two Ironmans in a year away now so being able to qualify for a 70.3 or through like the loyalty program actually is probably sensible because two ironmans in a year as you know for anybody is is quite taxing in you know in many different ways training money away from family time and things and you know we can argue over the reasons uh, for why men and women differ over that and why men are more likely to happily do two or put their hands up to do two hour man a year and the rights and wrongs of all of that. But that is um, the data shows that is a fact at the moment. Have you got a crystal ball then, Tim? Do, you know, if I, um, where do you see all this uh, going in five years' time? Do you think we'll be back in Kona doing one-day events like we have done previously? I don't think we're going to ever, I don't think we'll go back to that. No. So that would be, and part of the reason I don't think we'll go back to that is from a money perspective for Ironman, because they at the moment now they've got two world championships and get more people on the course, they can make more money. Mm-hmm. So there's some, some hard economics on that one. Um, I honestly don't know quite what's going to happen. I wouldn't be surprised to see change after next year. So, there might be a decision that actually, rather than the the, the four years of Nisawai, Nisawai, they might rip it up and say, we can't go through another two-year cycle of that because it just didn't work well enough in terms of effectively the women 
going to Nice, so we're not going to going to risk that again. Um, I can see potentially them looking to try to find a venue where they can get two days of racing, either that Friday, Sunday, or Thursday, Thursday, Saturday. But it does feel as if Hawaii is a no-go on that, and that mood hadn't shifted from last year when I was there this year, and it was something that I brought up with Messick, and he mentioned one or two stories about the reaction that they got last year yeah. from trying to do what they ended up doing and the fact that people on the island just couldn't get to work on a Thursday, for example, because there was a bike race going on. So I, yeah. I, volu- I volunteered, as you know, last year on the th- on for the Thursday race and the Saturday race. And I know some we have some friends out there who've been on the building the, the pier and the finish line for years. You know, they've been doing it for 30 years. And when we were talking to them about the whole logistics of things, you know, clearing the pier after the, after the Thursday race, getting everybody's bikes taken away and then opening it up again so that we could go for the same process. Um, because you need, you need people to volunteer on the Wednesday um, to set everything up, check all the bikes in, show everybody around the pier, give them that, you know, he talks about the volunteers and that world championship experience. It's not just about right. There's the, there's the pier go and put your bike where it's supposed to be they have concierges that take you to your bike this is where you go this is how you rack your bags this is the way in this is the way out for every single athlete um and then some of those people are volunteering on the sat on the thursday as well for the race and then they've got to go home and then they're coming back or you've got to get double the number of volunteers and in in a small place like kona um that's really difficult um so yeah that it's just that whole infrastructure thing seems challenging to say the least for both the organizers and for the volunteers because you know you've now got to commit to four days rather than two yeah no agreed i the the one thing that was facing criticism was the this idea of watering down the the events but particularly the women's event um i have let have fewer concerns over that because i think the quality at the top is still there Mm -hmm. because people Mm -hmm. are still going and the people that are challenging to for age group top tens and wins in their age groups are still high caliber so yes even if there are other athletes there who are not racing for the win which has kind of always been the case or i don't think that why should that be such a big a big deal and you would think that the the standard will rise Mm -hmm. um, as more opportunity is created i don't have so uh, you know i don't have an answer to you as to what is going to happen one thing i did think of earlier today though which i thought would be really nice and it would be such a curveball that and i don't believe iron man would ever do it but just hear <laughs> me out hear me out slightly and i need to get somebody to crunch the numbers on this so maybe someone like um coach coach cox yes that's okay. right isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got someone like someone like that who, yeah. who's listening or get christoph balustre to have a look at it but it would be this iron man qualification for the world championships you get a free place if you qualify yeah very simple rather than having to pay your fourteen hundred dollars you 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 just get your slot for free now what would be the knock-on effect if that were the case because ironman races as as we slightly discussed this they're struggling some of them are struggling to fill the numbers right now Mm. so if all of a sudden we get more demand and ironman can start making its money through other races because of this and if it adds enough bodies to the course mm-hmm. therefore would that be an opportunity there that they could say well actually 
um, you know, if you do win your, if you do, if you do qualify a slot, then you don't have to pay for it. So that's just qualification. That's not legacy. That's not, um, you know, finishing the top 10. It's just the people who get the qualification slot. Sorry, it's anybody that wins a place there can go for free. Exactly. Okay. And how, and, and I'd be interested to see how that would change the, the economic landscape of it. Now, you, I'm sure people will turn around and go, that's, that's ludicrous because you're just, you're just throwing away two and a half thousand times $1,400, you know. I'm just going to do, do the sums for you. However, depending on how many more athletes it brings to the sport and then also gives the cachet for the world, brings a bit more cachet back to the world championships itself, it could be. Well, it could two, be interesting. Two thousand people times fourteen hundred is two point eight million dollars. That's a lot of money to give away, particularly when the company's owned by private equity or whatever it is. Yes, exactly. So, therefore, is that perhaps pushing it too far? But perhaps it's more of a discounted entry rather than a premium entry, which is what it is now. And if you were going to, you'd have to do that for both races, of course, wouldn't you? So, of course, of course, you would. But it, yeah. but it, but 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 would you know if somebody thought mm. that was the carrot, would it encourage them to enter a, another Ironman race where they're struggling for numbers? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know, I would think it would be, it would just be, um, be just be a great direction for the sport to go. Well, I mean, if you want to keep being successful, you you sometimes have to change your business model in in line with the times. You know, changing trends, changing economic circumstances, of which we're all aware that we're going through right at the moment. So. Uh, you know, maybe the all the all the alternative is you just carry on with your old business model and eventually fail. Um, and if that's the alternative to giving a bit of money away, then maybe that is more palatable. Yeah. Well, I mean, Ironman have just put their hand in their pocket for the bonus pool for the pros, so mm-hmm. maybe it's time for some concessions to the age groupers as well. Yeah, maybe. Well. We'll we'll have to come back next year, Tim, to uh, to do part two. And of course, I'll be able to keep the same podcast introduction next year, and then they'll be in the right order. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We didn't talk about the female top ten, did you? Uh, you had a long journey, obviously much longer to get to um, Hawaii than you did to get to Nice. So, did did you do a top ten predictions for the females? Um, no, it was impossible. Um, I felt, and everyone I asked, who most people said they didn't have a clue, and and the ones that did, I felt they were just plucking numbers, plucking names out of thin air. Mm. It was a it was a seven woman strong, if you like, race. And I think this is one thing that was great about the race, unlike the men's race in France, where we didn't. There was many, almost like felt contenders could come from anywhere. The women's race in Hawaii was a definite focus on the, the top seven women and. And now I can run through them, which was Lucy Charles Barkley, Anne Howe, Chelsea Sodaro, Daniela Reeve, Flora Phillip, um, Kat Matthews, and Taylor Nib, mm-hmm. um, who all had their different strengths and <laughs> not, not many weaknesses. So, uh, you know, ultimately, if I had to put um, a pick a name, I think I went for, for, for Anne Hag just because of how consistent she has been all season. Um, but I was thoroughly impressed. Like I could not have been more impressed with how Lucy Charles Barkley took the race out. And having spoke to her, I spoke to her seeing the mix zone at the finish. And then I had a long interview with her earlier this week. And it's ju- I think the word for me, which I have <laughs> written in, in one of the articles, is around her tenacity. Um, and just the fact that, you know, this is something that she's been going after. 
since as a pro since 2017 and finished runner-up four times and just wouldn't let it go and her training she trained um for six weeks indoors just outside of london for this which should give hope to perhaps other uk triathletes that they can be done if you're heading to hawaii um yeah got the heaters on in the gym um and then also she had an achilles pull in the fortnight leading in which again caused her trouble within a mile of the marathon and, and went up to her calf but um you know, she just had that much fortitude and to run a 257 marathon, having cycled the second fastest time ever on the big island, uh, 432, I think, which the only one, uh, the only athlete who's ever gone faster woman was Daniela Reef in 2018, which was what perhaps the most standout biking performance we've ever seen in Ironman triathlon, I would say, Reef's bike leg in 2018. Mm. I haven't seen the likes of it. Um, and then see Lucy, Lucy leading out the swim as well, which was the eighth fastest uh, swim time of all time to set a new course record was just, and she didn't get caught by Anne Haug who ran a new run course record of 248. Like the numbers just keep coming and coming and coming. So therefore um, it, the women's race was just an absolute joy. Um, and I think it's funny as well because it's it's a sport whereas the more you get to know the sport the more you see the nuances in the sport and mm. so the more you can be engaged with the sport because if you if we had to just explain this to a complete outsider they would ask what happened and i'd say it's phenomenal like you see this like gun to tape win pretty much the first time we've seen it in the competitive era etc cetera, etc cetera. and they're like and their response would be what so somebody started these eight and this eight plus hour race in the lead didn't get overtaken all day and then won the race okay and you're telling me that's compelling so i think mm. it's uh, you know because mm. that, that's the only thing there wasn't you know there wasn't the overtakes on the marathon there wasn't the there wasn't the dramatic blow-ups there wasn't um those sorts of things but then also think athletes are so professional these days in terms of their hydration nutrition strategies so dialed in and i saw some of that actually because i was staying with the precision hydration crew and mm. i saw how they worked with their athletes more closely at hand than I'd, than I'd seen before. And it actually opened my eyes oh, to yeah. different, yeah. to different levels of things like sweat rate and sodium concentration and just, yeah, specifics on those sorts of things and how important it is. I mean, on that point, I spoke with Andy and Emily, Emily Arrell. I don't, I think Emily was out there, wasn't she? She's she a was. sports scientist. She's compiled 250 odd case studies on their professional athletes and, elite age groupers about their fueling with carbohydrates and their hydration strategies and salts and and the the awareness they have at that and 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 how they've trained leon chevalier is one example they've got data going back to bolton in 2021 to show that he at that time was absorbing around 80 grams of carbohydrate per hour and over those two years he's trained his gut to absorb another 50 percent more now that that's 120 grams that he's absorbing if you look at most of the research, it sort of says 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrates per hour. So you, you're pushing beyond that. And clearly I know that some of the, they, they think that, that some of the things that point to successful athletes is their ability to absorb more food from training, general training and during races and other people. So, you know, gut, gut DNA might be a part of athletic talent as much as your um, VO2 max, but still the data they've got and the way they've worked with them to, sort of bring about those changes is phenomenal i've got 
a lot of admiration for the way they're going about the business there. Yeah, it's really it's really impressive to see firsthand. And the other thing around that, um, and Leon was actually a good example that you've just brought up, is it's not just about saying, okay, we're going to take on 100 grams of carbs an hour. It's specifically how you do it. Mm-hmm. You know, how are you going to carry it on your bike or or, or on your person on on the run? Or, and also, when are you going to are you going to like for Leon, for example? There's a a big thing of front loading on the bike. So you can you get the energy in while you can get the energy in on the bike when when it's much more difficult on the marathon then you see take a step back as that let's take a step back then and I think that some of these lessons for amateur athletes to understand and have a plan coming in so you know I remember when I did Ironman racing it was literally a wing and a prayer stuff um, <laughs> and but especially in the the heat of Kona um, where it matters so so much more. And of course, we did see, we did see problems um, in the in the racing, but also we saw at the at the at the pointy end, and you know, of those seven women, it was only Cat Matthews who didn't have a a good day. I, I would say, I think the other six that we named at the start did have a good days, and and part of that was because they got their fueling correct. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, people talk about nutrition being the fourth discipline, and I think in the way you've just described it absolutely is. But apart from a lot of those athletes and maybe some of the elite age groupers, I still don't think there's that many people putting the same amount of effort into their nutrition as they do into their swim, bike and run training. And for me, that for typically specifically for age groupers and for somebody who works mostly with age groupers, I would say that that's um, an area that a lot of people could really bump up their performance just by paying attention to that. Yeah. Yeah, so, definitely. Y- yes. Can yes. get a sweat test? Yeah. Well, get a sweat test. And, you know, I, we've got a partnership with uh, Andy Blow and the, and the guys at Precision Fuel and Hydration now. And they do 15 minute video calls with folks. And I know quite a few have had them and found them very, very informative and, and useful for their own strategies. So I'd, I'll put a link to that in the show notes for this um, in case anyone's listening and wants to get on that. Because knowing about it now enables you to spend most of the winter doing something about it. If you only think about these things the month before your race, um, I can guarantee you that Leon Chevalier has not been thinking about it just for a month before his race and neither of any of those ladies that you just mentioned. Okay, Tim, thank you very much for being here. Um, I look forward to catching up with you at some other point, but it's always very informative and, uh, and interesting and fun to chat with you. So uh, best wishes. Hope your, uh, hope your ear problem clears up soon. <laughs> yes i don't know if we i don't know if that we caught that earlier in the in the recording or not but just to explain to the listeners um yes one of the challenges when you do the long-haul flights and go to hawaii is is, is not getting sick and unfortunately i did get sick and started to get sick on race evening um which kind of knocked me for six if i'm honest so by the time i landed back in the uk i was bedridden for about five days but what it has left me with is um, some kind of middle ear issue. So I am partially deaf at the moment with tinnitus. I suppose that drowns out Simon. So there is a bonus to that. You beat me um, to that. You beat me to and, that one, Tim, but thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the doctor has given me a small balloon that I need to inflate with my left nostril to try and equalize the pressure in my head. So, uh, you know, if you want to criticize the podcast, please do so, but please just bear that in mind that I've been, 
that I've been uh, been through a little bit this week. Oh, and I also had to do a speed and awareness course this morning as well. So it's not been the greatest week of my life. And on that bombshell, thank you, Tim Hemming, as always. I'll see you again on the next podcast. Thanks, Simon. Thank you again to Tim for being my guest on this week's show. It's always a great pleasure to catch up with him. And if you really want to know what's happening in the triathlon world, Tim is one of the best people to ask. If you don't already know about them, please could you check out our new Bite Size podcast episode, which is released every Saturday. These are around 10 minutes in length and I share my insights on some very specific topics. To make sure you don't miss any one of our episodes in the future, please go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and click the subscribe button. And if you've got time while you're there, I'd really, really appreciate it if you can leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Now then, if you've got endurance events to train for in 2024, you might be interested in joining my SWAT Inner Circle. We've got over 100 like-minded athletes preparing for triathlons, marathons, cycle to sportives and much more. They get training plans, coaching guidance and a like-minded community. And the real killer is this, it costs just £30 per month. You can find a link in the show notes below and if you've got any questions, just email me, simon at the triathloncoach.com. Oh, and by the way, before you go, please check out the show notes because we've got links to lots of other items that I've mentioned in this show and in previous ones. Right, that's it for this week. Next week, I'll have another great guest and I hope that you'll be able to join me. See you next time.